Slick Spotlight Driver, driver of the number 94 Crate Late Model, who does locally in the Kentucky area, but has also been transitioning out into other places this season. Jordan Hedger, I'm exact. I'm really extremely excited to have you on. Um, you're one of the first guys that um, one of your crew members reached out to me and said, hey, run a camera on this car. You're going to get some action, and I sure did. Jordan, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to have you. Absolutely. Man, kind of give us a little feedback. I ask every person that comes on the podcast, when did you start racing, and where did your passion for racing come from? Uh, see, I started racing back in 2006 okay. after a World 100 racing go-karts down at Lawrenceburg. Okay. Did you have success uh, in those go-karts? Raced go-karts up until 2010, won one championship before moving into the Bombers. Okay. Where'd you win your uh, championship? That was at Lawrenceburg. Okay. And then you had success in Bombers? Yep. We ran Bombers for three and a half years. Okay. I think at Florence, won one championship in 2012 before moving to the crates. Mm -hmm. And now you're at, you're at the crate late models now. Um, kind of tell us what fuels your passion for that dirt racing now in the crate lot, late model series, the highest series that you've been in so far. Uh, I don't know. The competition level on these crates is just crazy, but... I don't know. It's just a uh, lifelong passion, really, just running these dirt cars. It was a dream as a kid. Man, tell me, you know, you've, you've been racing for several years now, um, whether it was in the go-karts or, or whether it's in the crates now. What's your favorite racing memory so far in your career that you've accomplished? Hmm. I mean, the championships were big, but uh, heck, last weekend was going to be pretty close. <laughs> Tell us about last weekend. Well, over the weekend, we were running with the Neesmith National Tour and had a heck of a run going on Saturday night and thought we had a shot to win before uh, a rock busted off the power steering line. Well, that's no good, man. It, it, it sucks when that crap happens when, when you have mechanical failures, but, you know, you just put your head down and you keep digging. Um, you know, you, you kind of started, from what I understand, when you come to the crates, more of a local level at, at Florence, and then kind of reached out and been running the Neesmith for, for a little bit here. Um, tell us about your success that you've had with the Neesmith boys, and what's the competition level different from when you go from a local driver to more of a regional? We talked with Billy Green last week and, and with his supers and, and going from the crates to the late models, um, how the competition level from a local perspective going out into a national or a regional tour tell us the difference of that in the crate division well you know running at florence and that that's they got some pretty high competition in the crates to begin with but when you get out with the with the neesmith boys or even the fast track guys it's like going from going from a local super to running lucas hole or the world of outlaws really i mean it's the top guys in the country and most of these guys have run run supers at some point in their lives Okay, so we're, we're talking crates now. Um, eventually, I'm sure you'd like to move up into the super late model series, but let's stick with crates. There's several, since the crate division has kind of taken off lately, 
Tell me the number one crate uh, race that you want to win by the end of your crate late model career. Uh, probably Magnolia at the end of the year. Okay. This 10 grand world championship. It seems like That's the best of the best shows up there. And, and I have a feeling that will be why, you know, if you win there, you beat, you beat everybody. You beat all the big guys. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. okay. Um, man, tell us, I've asked everybody this. Who's your childhood hero? Who was your childhood hero? Uh, you know, on a personal standpoint, it had to be probably both my grandpas that really stuck out in my life. But then on a racing standpoint, you know, we've had Daryl and uh, I always watched Jimmy Owens growing up very closely. He kind of helped me learn how to drive these cars smooth. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Daryl Lanigan. Uh, my grandpa knew Daryl a little bit back in the day when Daryl used to drive semis. And then uh, I grew up racing with Grant Garrison at, in the go-karts, and they've been good buddies with Daryl. So they hooked me up with them when we got started in the crates back when we had our old rocket. He helped set it up. And ever since then, we've had a really good relationship on the racing side. He's been really good to us. From a local level, you, you mentioned the garrisons there. Um, you guys certainly have had some, some really good battles, especially in the, on the Florence track. But, you know, typically when you go to a Neesmith race, they're there. You posted to Facebook, or your racing page posted to Facebook this last week, talking about thanking the Garrisons for their help this past weekend. Tell us about your relationship with them. They, they run the same chassis as you do. Um, you know, you got to have buddies at the track. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Tell us about your relationship with them and then your competitive relationship with them. Yeah, me and Grant and even Mark and Blake and his whole family, you know, they've been good as gold to us over the years and really helped us getting going on this Neesmith stuff and even the setup on these cars, you know, they've been a lot closer with Daryl over the years and learned a lot more, a lot quicker than we have. And he's got another year or two under these cars than I got, but, and then competitively there ain't locally or nationally, there probably ain't no one that want to beat each other harder than me and him, but we got enough trust to lean on each other and can race each other hard like that. That's good, man. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about food. We all love food. You've been doing a little bit of traveling with the Nee Smith going around. What's your favorite dirt track concession food? Shoot. I still stick with a hamburger. Cheeseburger. Traditional hamburger and cheeseburger. From where, though? I mean, give us a track. Heck, I don't know. I still like the Florence stuff. Florence? Got a little bit of dirt. Florence is good. Florence is good. Their, their concessions are good. Um, you're in the crate. Um, you've got the high side and the inside in that crate. Where do you like to run best? Well, at most, if the track allows, I'd rather be up next to the wall like we were this weekend. Okay. But fortunately, with these crates, they got they don't have a whole lot of power like the supers, but they still hook up as hard. So it so a lot of times you end up bobbing feeding by the end of the race, mm -hmm. especially on these bigger tracks like Florence. Mm -hmm. But if I had the choice, I'd rather be up next to the wall. I heard one of your crew members in the background kind of give you a little giggle. When uh, when I asked that question, I believe that was a spotter back there, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's Brandon. Tell us about your relationship with your spotter. Oh God. Oh, I've known Brandon since sixth grade in high school. We grew up together. And mm -hmm. He wasn't much of a mechanic. We learned <laughs> how to spot over the years, I guess. Uh, talk about the importance of having you know good communication with a spotter, specifically in the crates. Because um, you don't have all that power to, to rip right around and make these amazing moves. 
talk about good communication between the, the crew members. Even with these crates, you know, you still got to conserve tires and that to a point, especially if you're on something soft. So you need to know where that guy behind you is. And, and if these guys, if someone is up on the wall and you're not, you need to know to get up there because you can't just jump there and, and start riffing it with a high horsepower like you can a super. You kind of got to take it easy and you got to be smooth with it. Man, we don't want to pry in too much, but we had a few guys sitting around the campground that I was listening to at the at the um, North South 100, and they were talking about the price difference between late models and, and uh, the crate late models, the super late models. What is that price difference? And kind of give us an idea. How how much does it really cost to get on the track? Oh, I mean, you could run a crate probably for ten or fifteen thousand. Okay. But to have it set up like we we're rolling with to be able to run this Nisa stuff, you still got about sixty grand in a car. Wow. Rolling off the track. And I mean compared to a super, I think you're gonna have another forty on top of that mm-hmm. to have the same setup that we got right now. Okay. Man, we kinda of talked about Grant. Do you would you consider him your rival or or do you have a rival on the track that you've ran into from the Neesmith or local days? Uh not exactly. I mean, we had a couple back in the go-kart days, but I don't know. I try to I try to keep nice with everybody and kind of just do my own thing, kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. And and the question that, that I was asked on Facebook in a private message is, they love watching you on the track, and, and you're succeeding, especially this year in that new car that you've got. Will we see you in a late model soon? I don't know. Kind of depends some, on sponsorship. I got some people trying to get us in one, mm-hmm. but it's going to take a lot more money and sponsor more than what I can afford to do on my own. Okay, man, it, it, it takes a lot to get to the track. Whether whether you're in a go kart or, or you're in a in a late model, thank your sponsors, thank your crew. Take take a moment here, give them the spotlight. You know they help you get to the track. Give them a shout out. Yeah. I can't thank enough for everyone that helps me out. You know, we got Daniel and Trey and Brandon sitting here, and my dad and my grandpa, my whole family, really. You know, they're the biggest sponsors. And then we got Uzbek Logistics. He stepped on this year to, uh, he's paying for all our fuel and the, the rig to get going. Uh, gotta go. He's been a big guy, big sponsor behind me for a lot of years now. Uh, DNR, which is just my work. He's just letting me go, go racing whenever I want. And, pretty much battery man mm-hmm. they're uh they've stuck beside us for since the go-kart days and then dlr okay errol okay um i just actually had a, a text come through on my phone here uh they want to know why you chose number 94 uh i chose 94 back when we started pulling go-kart because i was born in 94 okay all righty you guys heard it here Thanks for coming on, man. I'm, I'm glad that we got you on here. You're certainly one of the rising stars in the crate late model division. Hopefully we can see you in a super soon, see what you can do from there. Good luck on the Neesmith. Um, give everybody a shout-out on, on where they can follow you on social media. Uh, we got a Facebook, Twitter. We got an Instagram? Oh, we got an Instagram, too, I guess. All righty. Well, look him up. Look him up and find him. I'll uh, drop in the description of the podcast on this episode. I'll drop the links to where you can uh, go and follow him. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, We hope to see you soon down the road. Yep. Thanks for having us.
was going to Daytona. I had my race gear in my pack. When a stranger pulled up beside me in a stock car colored black. He was dressed like a NASCAR driver, a mustache with mirrored eyes. He said, it's a long walk to Florida. Would you like a ride, son? Part two of the end of the slick driver spotlight, Daniel Chumley. Daniel, I'm telling you, I've known you for years, and we go way back into school, and if you would have told me nearly 15 years ago that this is where you'd be at this time, flipping cars at Florence and having a good time, I would have called you crazy, you know, and... Uh, and a little bit that I know about Daniel, man, you worshiped NASCAR for years. And, and, and I always told you that dirt racing was the way to go and dirt racing was awesome. But until a few years, you, you know, you really didn't adapt to it. Tell us about your transformation really from an asphalt NASCAR fan to a dirt racing fan and now driver. Uh, I've really had a couple people. Um, one of my friends, Will, that I went to, uh, to school with and you and uh, uh, Jordan, they've you know, you guys have tried to get me into the dirt racing. The first race I remember was uh, the 2017 Ralph Latham. I think that was actually my first race I ever went to. I think Bloomquist led all 50 laps. Um, but um, really, working with Jordan last year, uh, last year, 2018, I really, really hit the dirt track racing hard. And I did, I wanted to a lot of NASCAR races last year too, but it just, I was a lot more into the dirt racing. It just seemed guys had to get up on the wheel and go. They didn't have time to, to wait. And there's a lot of rule changes in NASCAR that really kind of soured me on it too. And, you know, you know, your favorite drivers retiring, guys you remember as kids aren't there anymore. And just, I'm just pretty much all in on the late model stuff now. Yeah, man. I mean, I, when you first got into dirt racing, it was kind of a slow transformation that I watched that took off out of nowhere. You know, I would get these texts, man, I'm really having fun, you know, working on the car. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're like, man, I think I'm going to buy a Hornet. Tell us about your decision to buy a Hornet and, and, the, and the time that you took in to invest into to learning to be a driver and, and how the time that you've spent on Jordan's car has, has trans, translated over into uh, becoming a racer on the track. Well, I, I had a, I've had you know little random thoughts on and off you know for a couple of years now about getting a car and just the way life was going it just wasn't going to work out and then um last year you know working on jordan's car and i thought you know now's now is the time if i'm ever going to do this you know i i didn't want to go my whole life wanting to race a car and then just never getting the opportunity to do it. And the only person stopping me would have been myself. So I just, you know, just went for it. Just, I, I bought a, a brace ready Cavalier from somebody that had been racing it out of Lawrenceburg for a little while. Um, and, and really just working on Jordan's car really just helped fuel the passion for racing. I always wanted to be involved in racing and, and some, some level, and uh, it just really it, – it, last year just absolutely took off for me. I don't know if really working on the late model translates to anything that I could use on the Hornet, but there are certain driving techniques. You know, Jordan's a pretty experienced driver that he is – he's really helped me out uh, this year with giving me driving tips, you know, just, you know, some general things that I need to, uh, to do on the track, you know, telling me make sure – I 
keep my eyes out beyond the air cleaner and all that and just pay attention to your surroundings. He's been he's been really useful to have to have around. I've benefited a lot from it. You know, I, I didn't ask you this question ahead of time and it just kinda came to me. What did your mom say when you when you said, Hey, all right, I'm gonna go and race a hornet at Florence Speedway? When I told mom a couple years ago, she didn't think it was such a good idea. And then when I told her uh, at the end of last year that I wanted to get a Hornet and race, she was like, you know, go ahead and do it. I'll, you know, I'll support you in it. And my dad was a little shaky on it because dad's always trying to watch out for me financially and, you know, kind of a good way to make a small fortune race and to start with a big fortune. But you're really screwed whenever you don't even have a small fortune to begin with, you know, mm-hmm. it's, that's really kind of why I'm in the, in the Hornet is just because that's what I can afford right now. And that's, that's what I have fun with. Um, I mean, even after my wreck, my mom still supported me cause she knew, you know, I had such a, a passion for this and, and, and the happiness that it, it's been bringing me. Yeah. You know, I, I was sitting in Florida when, when you had your wreck and it came across my phone that you had a pretty nasty spill. Um, when you sent me the video, I was like, holy crap. I mean, you flip, what, five, six, seven times, if, if not more than that, down the backstretch. Uh, it, 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 was, it was pretty nasty. I'll, if I can get a hold of the video again, I'll, I'll upload it to where people can watch and see what we're talking about. Tell us what goes through your mind when you, when you start flipping. Do you just close your eyes and hang on, or, or what are you trying to do? Sky dirt, sky dirt, sky dirt. Mm-hmm. I mean, just I, I felt my arms come off the steering wheel. I just pulled them in towards me and uh, held onto the belts so, you know, they wouldn't fly around everywhere and just pretty much waited for the ride to end. I mean, I'm, I was really fortunate that uh, – Obviously, I walked away. Uh, I had a scraped shin, and I had a headache for a couple of days, but uh, I went and got checked, and they said neurologically I was fine. I mean, I was really pretty lucky to get away with just, you know, realistically no injuries, but um, I'm glad no one else hit me, too. I mean, that it, it. although with all that being said, my very first thought was, well, this car's junk now. You know, there's, yeah. I'm, I'm, I hit the wall and get – you know, it just digs in and starts barrel rolling. I thought, well, everyone was right. These things, these things flip easy, and this car's junk now. Yeah, man, I'm glad that you listened and got the the proper safety gear. Uh, tell everybody that's listening. I'm a young, you know, 10 to 15 year old kid wanting to get into dirt racing. How important is that safety equipment when you're barrel rolling down the backstretch? I mean, it's you know. I spent 560 bucks on a Simpson hybrid and it's, I was standing there making a joke at the cash register before I handed the money over was, do I think my life is worth $560? And then you're like, yeah, you know, you, and that, and that's realistically why, you know, obviously injuries happen, but that's why we wear all that safety gear. So whenever wrecks do happen is you, you know, you try to stay safe. I mean, it's, that's the one thing you definitely can't skip on. It doesn't, you know, if you're going to run last or first, you know, you, at the end of the day, anything can still happen. You're going to need the same amount of protection. Mm -hmm. Um, man, you talked about making a small fortune in dirt racing. You start with a big fortune. You're on car number two. Now about how much does it cost to, to roll onto the track, uh, in a Hornet race, um, turnkey and ready. 
Uh, it really depends. I mean, you can get a pretty ragged out Hornet for probably about a thousand dollars, but I saw a built one from the Hornet factory going for sale last night for 3,500, you know, it just, and some of these guys, they build, you know, they build engines for them, you know, based off whatever their rule book says, but, uh, some guys run stock, you know, you, you know, you got your crate Hornets and your super Hornets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's this car. I got a really good deal on this car because of one of my sponsors helping me out. Uh, that's on the car. Tucker auto body really helped me, uh, helped me out with it. They gave me a good deal on it. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's no reason, I guess if you're talking safety equipment and if you, you know, it depends on it. You got a trailer, do you got a truck, you got tools to work on it. You know, <laughs> luckily I, you know, I had the truck and the tools already. I just had to get the trailer, the car, and the gear. I mean, I don't know, man. I bet it's close to a $5,000 investment just to get you out on the track if you really don't have anything. Maybe even more, depending on how competitive you want to be. Mm-hmm. Man, we had a. I put that Facebook post out on the Rubber Up Productions Facebook page asking, you know, if anybody want to ask anybody questions um, that's on the show, you know, comment below. Rogo, who commented last week, commented this week again and asked about that Florence rack and said, is there any amusement park ride that you have been on that compares to what to what you went through on the, the Florence backstretch? The baddest roller coaster on the planet, Steel Vengeance at Cedar Point. We, we uh, well, a couple of us at Jordan Hedger Racing, we stood in line twice for that thing for uh, at least two hours just to ride that thing. I mean, it's it's a crazy ride. It's Mm-hmm. it's it's you get a lot of you got a lot of time out of the seat on it you got a you got a lot of body coming up out of the seat and that thing it's a lot of what they call it weight weightless like a weightless feeling it's it's neat just flings you all around yeah man another question that was asked and and i know it's kind of personal um but it someone asked you know who was your inspiration to get into racing and who supported you the most um, an inspiration to get into racing. I was always, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I was, you know, I grew up on NASCAR, you know, so I was, I was an Earnhardt fan. Dad right as an Earnhardt fan. So, um, I really still don't have a favorite dirt track driver. I guess, I guess Jordan would have to be, I don't really care how anybody else does. Daryl, I like to see how I like to see Daryl do good every night, but, um, uh, as far as people supporting me, you know, it was, it was, you know, Jordan supported me and, you know, my friends, pretty much all my friends and family when it came down to it this time, you know, between Brandon, my buddy Drew, Trey, my mom, my stepmom, I mean, everybody, my stepdad, everybody, everybody supported me, really. I didn't have to fight anybody or I didn't really have anybody trying to talk me out of it. This is kind of a loaded question from a regulation standpoint uh, of what the Hornets are, but if there's one thing that you can change in Hornet racing, what would that be? In Hornet racing, it's hard to say. They used to have pretty strict rules in them as far as not locking transmissions and not building engines and all that stuff for them. And a lot of those rules have just been relaxed over the couple of years is my understanding in favor of just trying to keep the cars safe. Um, which I see that's kind of what it's going to now every year. They, 
they just start allowing you to do more and more things. It would be nice if they would almost have two classes of four cylinder. You know, if you wanna if you wanna build a an engine for it and you know put cams and do your different intakes and headers and lock transmissions, you can do all that. But I think I think actually uh, Atomic or there's a track out out east in Ohio where they have like DRC Hornets and then they have just regular Hornets that are supposed to be stock. Mm-hmm. Okay. Man, we kind of focused more on racing in this interview. Tell us about your hobbies outside of racing, or, or has racing completely consumed your life? Uh, pretty. It's it's about all I do. Whenever if we're not if we're not racing, if it rains out or we got an off week or something, you know, we we'll usually we might catch a movie, or usually we're at Top Golf or Kings Island, or um, you know, or just might we might spend a night in. And on iRacing or, you know, I might catch a Reds game every now and then try to try to spend time with family or girlfriend, whatever, you know, since you're at the shop five or six days a week, you just, you know, try to, you still want to do other things, but you definitely, but when racing's your passion, you know, it takes up a lot of your time. Okay. You and Jordan get on iRacing together. Who wins? Um, Usually Brandon loses because we take him out. We don't, I mean, Jordan and I and I have had a couple good races on there. It just, we, neither of us race it enough to be super consistent. I don't know. I like, I like racing the slow stuff, like the limited late models and crate late models on there. He likes the modifieds a lot. Brandon will race anything. You and I have raced some asphalt stuff. I've kind of got out of racing some of the asphalt stuff a little bit and, um, but for a long time, I was racing asphalt stuff on there because I couldn't get the dirt stuff. I couldn't get the hang of it. But mm-hmm. they've done some updates that makes it a little more drivable, I think. All right, Daniel. You know, we, we talk about um, progressing through your career. Uh, do you have any plans to move into another series possibly next year? Um, really, the goal is to try to get into a sport mod or something four bar next year. I, you know, it's it's what I've been – familiar with working on you talked earlier about working on jordan's car and how it could help me out and he's used to driving four bar suspension and you know when he raced the bomber had a car with you know minimal tire on it kind of like a modified has i think he could help me out a lot with that and just need a little bit more sponsorship to try to pull the sport mod deal together so this is this is my chance now people looking to sponsor a up new uh sport mod driver for 2020 the opportunity is here yeah i agree man man me personally it like i said earlier if you would have told us in sixth grade that you'd be on a dirt track racing a racing a hornet i, I would have called you crazy so i'm proud of you personally you know I'm, it's cool to call you a friend and and to see you grow in your career i'm looking forward to that thank your sponsors thank everybody who gets you to the track you know your team all that good stuff uh sponsors i've got keith sperling he's uh he's with motors brew and gasoline life he's a small clothing apparel and brewing company based out of cincinnati um uh tucker auto body um with david tucker he's been my newest sponsor to come on with me um down in down in walton he's uh he's been a good guy um as far as people out here helping helping me at the shop i got Brandon, Trey, Jordan, uh, Matt, they helped me. My mom and dad have helped me financially, you know, and I put 
you know, I sponsor myself too. I put, I make up, you know, the rest of it, what, you know, needs to be done. But, um, I get, you know, I get some help from some local parts stores. KOI really helps me out a lot with the car, you know, since it's a Cavalier, they sell, well, my new car is a Sunfire, but, um, they, they help me out a lot there. They do the best they can to, to help a local racer out. All righty. Well, everybody that's listening, Daniel Chumley, look for him at your uh, your local dirt track. Hopefully, we don't flip any more cars anytime soon. So, we'll, uh, we'll see you on the track. Hopefully, we'll get a camera on you soon. And um, I'm proud of you. I know the world's proud of you that's listening. Thanks, man. I tell you, if, uh, if Rubber It Up wants a camera and a big sponsorship on them, I'll roll as many as they want. You just got to get me a new one for the next time. Well, we'll talk about that. How about that? <laughs> All right, guys. Give me my sound like a disaster Can you make